Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, wow. Good morning. <laughs> it, timing is everything. Good morning, church. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Faith Baptist Church on Homecoming Sunday. It is a special day for us because the church is celebrating, I think tomorrow is the actual uh, anniversary, the 57th anniversary of the founding of Faith Baptist Church. Let's put our hands together to praise the Lord for that. That's, that is a significant number. And it is a blessing to have you here on this special day. And I know that uh, we have special guests today. And we are very glad that you joined us on our homecoming day. And we have some who have come home for Thanksgiving, uh, for, Thanksgiving for a homecoming. And it is a blessing to have all of you here. Uh, homecoming. You know, I, I, thought, I didn't realize that I was coining that phrase because for several years now, we've celebrated Anniversary Sunday. Well, nobody told me that. I thought Anniversary Sunday was homecoming. And, and I like that terminology, homecoming. See, I grew up in church. And, and I'm just curious, how many of you grew up in church? Amen. How many of you grew up in Faith Baptist Church? I knew that I'd have at least one. You know, when I see Katie and Jeremy and their mission reports, I'm always thrilled because I can say, that's one of ours, out there on the field serving the Lord. Tyler was here in the uh, first service, and every time I see Tyler on the TV news, uh, whether it's Channel 4, Channel 16, I say, that's one of our guys. He grew up here. Growing up in church is a special privilege. For those of you who raised your hand and said, I grew up in church, praise God for your parents who had you under the sound of the preaching of the Word of God, who raised you to be here and to be who you are today. And I pray that you have made a commitment as parents, maybe even as grandparents, to do the same, to bring your children, your grandchildren up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That, that's an old-timey phrase that just means you're going to be in church, you're going to pray as a family, you're going to hear the Word of God preached, and you're going to read the Bible at home. That is a precious blessing. And so we talk about homecoming, and I talk about welcome home. But we've been talking about, from the book of Acts, how God worked through the early church, the first church in the book of Acts, and how that church grew. And I've departed from the book of Acts this morning. You heard the passage of Scripture. We are in, um, in Ephesians chapter 4, because Ephesians chapter 4 is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture about growing a church and growing in church. You heard the passage read, and I, I just want to point out some things for you, some very practical applications from the passage of, of Scripture. First of all, I want you to notice how Christ grows His church. How Christ grows His church. Now, we talk about my church, my church. But the truth is, it's not my church, and it's not your church. It's the Lord's church. It is the church for whom He died. He purchased the church with His own blood. 
That comes at a high price. It's His church, not ours. Now, I understand that we want to take ownership. We want to be a part of this, and that's all good. But we must always realize that it's His church. And Christ is the one that's primarily responsible for growing His church. But notice how He does that. And it says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, notice first of all how he grows his church is that he gives ministers in the church to help the church grow. What I'm saying to you is the ministers, the staff, the pastoral staff of the church are a gift to this church from God. Now that puts me in a little bit of an embarrassing situation, Mike. I have to preach to the congregation that I, as a pastor, am a gift to the congregation. And that might be a hard sell. I've been trying to tell Brenda that for years. That, that I'm a gift to her from God. And, I, and I'm not sure how convinced she is. Some days she agrees and some days, well, you know. I mean, it's, it's marriage, right? But the pastor is given by God. And notice that in the history of the church, going back to the book of Acts again, notice what he has given. Okay, one only. Okay, ministers are Christ's gift to the church, given in order to grow the church. And he gave apostles prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now think about the ministers that Christ has put in your life. Now the primary application of this passage is the history of the church. Christ is the foundation of the church, but He gathered around Him the apostles, the twelve apostles. He sent them out, and that is how the church grew through the apostles that He called. Now there is no apostolic office today. But there are people who are like apostles. Did you know that that word apostle, apostello, is a word that means one who is sent. That means, and by the way, do you know that the word missionary never occurs in the Bible? This is the word for missionary, one who is sent. So Paul and Silas, for example, were called missionaries. Barnabas was called, I'm sorry, apostles. Barnabas was called an apostle. Paul had the apostolic office, but he was also one who was sent. So when we talk about church planters, my friend Chris Bockledge, Jeremy, Katie, these, these guys that have been sent out by the church to plant new congregations, though they are apostles. But there's also pastors. You know, our church, if you look in your worship guide, there's pictures there of the guy who was the first pastor of this church. And then came Freddie Holmes. Freddie Holmes was here uh, for 40 years. I mean, uh, he was like an apostle to this church. I mean, he was foundational. He had a certain authority about him. Some of you go back that far. Cindy Brewer, is her name is on the plaque out front as one of the charter members of this church. We had another charter member present in the earlier service. But Freddie was an apostolic kind of guy. 
But then there are also prophets. Now, prophets in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, those are the people who are inspired of God to give the Word of God and even foretell what God was going to do in the future. Well, we're not foretellers anymore. We are forthtellers. We give forth the Word of God. But you know, a prophet is, um, when I think of a prophet, I think, Delenn, I think of a powerful pulpiteer. But it's also, guys, somebody who is bold enough to tell you what you don't want to hear from the Word of God and to broadcast that to you. Listen, we need that kind of preaching. Repentance from sin is not popular, and the preaching of repentance is not popular. But you cannot be saved without it. And we need prophets in our day not to be inspired of God, but to take the inspired Word of God, to open it, and to boldly proclaim it, even when it's not popular. We need ministers who will be our prophets. There, it also says that there were evangelists. And that, that word is not a translated word. That's a transliterated word. What it really means, it means gospelizers. People where, who everywhere they go, Man, they just gospelize. They, they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been talking about that the early church did. That you share the gospel of Jesus Christ at home, at work, at play, at school, in the park. Everywhere you go, you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've got some pastor friends who are great soul winners. Man, I mean they are gospelizers. It also talks about shepherds. You know, some pastors are just great shepherds. They may not be great evangelists. They may not be powerful preachers, but they are shepherds. They love the flock. They care for the flock. They minister to the flock. They are shepherds. Then others are teachers. I, I got to tell you, Bob Weagle was a fantastic teacher. I learned. I've got a doctorate in theology, and I learned from Bob Weagle. Some, some guys are great teachers. Now understand, all of these are, are characteristics, the things that I've described to you are characteristics that every pastor, every minister should have some of. But nobody is perfect in all of those ways. And so you'll have a pastor who comes along, man, he is a shepherd. You'll have another one come along, and he's good at all of these things, but his, I mean, he is really powerful in the pulpit. You have another one who comes along, and he is just a great shepherd. Everybody loves him, and he loves everybody because he truly shepherds the flock. You know, I believe with all my heart that God calls particular men with particular gifts and gives them as a gift to the church at just the time that the church needs it. We need not expect every pastor that comes to be gifted fully in all of these areas, but there is a variety of ministries, and what is great is when you have a pastoral staff and you have one who's a shepherd and another who's a prophet, and, and one fills in where the other is lacking. And that's how the pastoral staff is supposed to work together as a team. But understand, those are 
gifts from Christ to this church. Now we are, I'm serving at the present time as your senior pastor, and that is a privilege. And, and I appreciate the support and prayers of this congregation. But we're going to be seeking a pastor in the days to come, and we need to understand, we need to ask God to give us the pastor that He wants us to have. It cannot be a political process. It cannot be a popularity contest. We need to be on our knees praying to God for the minister that God wants us to have and pray that by the leadership of the Spirit, He will lead the right person to us and then we will respect and follow that gift of, from God when He comes. I want you to notice the reason that He gives those ministers. He says it is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, what I said to you is this is how Christ builds, builds up His church, by giving the ministers. But what do the ministers do? Do they do all the work? Absolutely not. It is my responsibility as your senior pastor to equip you for the ministry. It is your responsibility then, having been equipped to do the work of the ministry, and when the members of the church are trained, equipped, and turned loose as volunteers in ministry. And listen, every member of this church ought to be involved in ministry. We baptized Logan sitting on the front row. We baptized Logan and Jamie just a few minutes ago. And Logan and Jamie, Jamie's in the back. They need to be looking for a place of ministry now. They're members of this church. And every member ought to be a minister doing the work of the ministry. And when that happens, God uses that to build up the body of Christ, to build up His church. That is why He gives the ministers. And that is how Christ, that's His plan, you may not like that plan because it requires a commitment from you. But that is how Christ has chosen to build up His church. We need to understand, a pastor should be judged not by how much he does, not by how hard he works, not by how busy he is, but rather how well he motivates and enables his church members to do the work of the ministry. How many volunteers are involved? How many church members are working? That's the mark of a good pastor, of a good minister. That is the way that Christ builds up His church. I want you to also think about from this passage, it talks about not only how Christ builds His church, but how the church grows in Christ. I grew up in church. Unfortunately, I would have to admit that I did not grow very much uh, in the beginning of my church life. Uh, it came later. Uh, I tell you, one of the things I was talking about growing and being enabled in ministry, man, when they put me in front of a Sunday school class, Jacob... The, the kids learned a lot. I learned 10 times as much as they did. 
You know, being in ministry is one of the ways that you grow. And how, does, how do you grow in Christ? Well, he talks about that. Uh, the goal of, of our growing, he uses two words, attain and grow up. So what is our goal? What is it we're trying to attain? We are trying to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To what extent? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're trying to be like Christ. He works in us and He chisels at us until we begin to look like Him. I'll never forget standing at the American Association of Christian Counselors meeting with Robert Francis, listening to Larry Crabb preach a sermon. Robert and I stood there side by side, tears running down our face. Robert turned to me and he said, Nothing like being hit between the eyes with an axe handle at 7.30 in the morning. I mean, Larry Crabb was a prophet. It was open heart surgery. And I said to Robert, I feel like the story I heard about the sculptor. Somebody asked him, how did you carve such a beautiful angel out of the stone? He said, well, it was hard at first. But he said, I looked at the stone, the big piece of granite, until I saw the angel, the angel trapped inside he said, from that point it was easy. I just chipped away everything that didn't look like an angel. And I said, I feel like God's chipping away everything about me right now that doesn't look like Jesus. I said, the only thing is, I'm beginning to feel like when he gets through with me, there will be nothing of me left. Have you been there? Have you allowed God to chip away at what's you, so that he can leave behind an image of Christ that the world around you sees the fullness of the measure of Christ in you, his follower, his church. We are to grow up into him, not into our best self. We are to grow up into him so that when people see us, they see Jesus. Well, how do you do that? Well, I've already talked about to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and that when you get involved in that ministry, listen, there is growth in serving God. If you're just warming a chair and that's all, you come and enjoy the services, but you're not ministering in any way, you're probably not growing. You want to grow? Man, find a ministry. Get involved. Some of the lessons will be hard ones. Some of them will be exciting ones. At some point, you'll get tired in ministry. But that's how you become mature. That's how you grow, by being enabled and turned loose in ministry. He also talks about to attain to the unity of the faith. Now, there's actually two ways you can take that term, the faith. It can mean our system of doctrines, the faith once delivered to the saints. And we need to know what we believe. At some point, before the new pastor gets here, I hope to do a series on the foundations of our faith. I think it's important that we know what we believe. It could also mean, and I probably lean more toward this meaning of the faith, because it's followed by the term knowledge of the Son of God, faith in trusting in Jesus, the Son of God. 
Have you learned to step out in faith and trust God? Listen, it's dangerous to build our lives on a foundation of what we're able to do, of our education, of our natural giftedness, of our wealth. Building our lives on that and living our lives around that, it leads to disaster. You need to build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, of His commands, of His Word. You need to learn to set sail on the winds of faith. Lord, I don't know where this journey is going to take me, but I'm going with You wherever You lead me. Wherever You lead me, I will go. And you grow in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You grow in knowledge of the Son of God. You know Him. You've met Him daily in His Word. You know the sound of His voice as He speaks in your heart. He knows the sound of your voice as you call on Him. And you know Jesus. I remember one time in the International Missionary Retreat, one of the missionaries asked the teacher for the teenagers, what are we, our kids going to learn this week? And the, and the teacher said, they're going to learn who Jesus really is. Well, the missionary was sort of critical of that. Well, my kids have grown up in church. My kids hear preaching all the time. Yeah, but do they personally, do they personally really know who Jesus is? Do you? Have you grown in your faith? Have you grown in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to mature manhood so that we are no longer children? The church and church members, when we talk about church growth, let's not forget that a part of that is the growth of the membership in Christ. The problem is we don't need to be children. In the average church, there are too many spiritual children who are masquerading as grown-ups. Make sure that you have grown up, that you are growing in Christ. He said, no longer be children. What, what are children like? Well, they're tender-hearted. Jesus said to accept Him like children. That means with tender hearts. But then after that, He expects us to grow in faith and knowledge so that we're not just unstable, being easily tossed about. Listen, if you don't grow in your faith and you don't know the faith, you don't know what you believe, you don't know the Bible, every time a new book comes out, you'll have a new theology. Every time another popular preacher comes up, whether it's online or in town, you'll be drawn to that new preacher and a new faith, a new system of theology, new doctrines, new teaching. Listen, we need to be mature. We need to be stable, founded upon the Word of God. Not only that, not just tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but also carried about, tossed to and fro by human cunning. Sometimes those leaders are people who want to use you. Sometimes people in the church will try to manipulate you. If you are strong, if you are mature, 
you won't be drawn by that. You won't be deceived by that. It also says craftiness in deceitful schemes. Focus on schemes. That means that somebody's got an agenda and they're trying to pull you away from the truth. They're trying to pull you away maybe from the pastor that that God has sent, from the ministers God has sent. They're trying to pull you away from the foundation upon which you have grown up, the Word of God, and they have some scheme and they are operating craftily and deceitfully. Be careful of those people. When people start trying to divide the church, you know, unfortunately, uh, Baptists have said for years that we often multiply by division. A few of you smiled, you know what I mean by that. That is, the church divides, and one little group goes over here, another little group goes over there, and now instead of one church, you've got two churches. But actually what you have is two halves. By the way, when that happens, you know what they always name that new church? Unity. Or peace. Or harmony. Well, okay, in, in modern terminology, they say it's the better way, Baptist church. But what has happened is somebody had a scheme, they couldn't get along with somebody else, and they drew a part of the people away. Don't do that. Grow up, be strong, be mature, know what you believe, come to full adulthood. Instead of that, it says speaking the truth. Rather, instead of that, speaking the truth in love. Now, I've heard that used, Aaron, all the wrong ways. Speaking the truth in love. That means that I can say to you, well, I love you, but I need you to know you're overweight. But I love you. I'm speaking the truth in love. Um, that, that hairdo you have is... No, we're not going to go there. That, you know, I, I know this is being live streamed and it scares me to death to put this out there on the inter internet because it will be there forever. But I'm sorry, but I read very clearly that women who have big behinds live longer than the men who mention it. That's not what it means. Quit using it that way. Speaking the truth in love refers to the Word of God, the prophecy, the doctrine, the faith that, that's in the previous verses. That that prophet can speak to you the truth and you're open to hear what he says even when it hurts because he loves you. And he's speaking the truth in love. That's what it's talking about. Even that you have that opportunity to speak to people about their lifestyle. About their rebellion against God. And let them know, listen, Jesus loves you. You're not pleasing Him by the way you live, but He still loves you. And He wants to draw you to Himself. I hope you've got that, gotten that message in this place. Speaking the truth in love is a matter of maturity. We've talked about how Christ grows His church. We've talked about how the church grows in Christ, that we need to be growing. But He also talks about, in verse 16, how the church grows itself. Well, you said the Lord grows the church. He does. 
But remember how he does that. And in verse 16, verse 16 is one of the most powerful Greek passages in all the New Testament. He says, from whom? The whole body. Now notice the source. What is the source of all church growth? It comes from Christ. But the whole body joined and held together. Two strong words that we join together in unity in the church. He goes all the way back to the first of this chapter. He talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Unity. That's what he's talking about. We need to be in unity in our church, joined together and held together. Not pushing apart, not torn apart, but held together. How? By every joint with which it is equipped. Every joint means every member. You may be an arm, a hand, or a foot, an eye, or an ear, but you're a part of the body. And God wants to use you in the way He has gifted you to hold the church together so that we can together reach out to our community and win the loss to Christ. Every member has a part. We are one in that we are held together, but we are many in that every one of us is equipped and each part is expected to work properly for the whole body. Listen, God puts His gifts, His ability, His power, and His wealth in each of you. You have a different gift than I have. But God expects you to use that gift for His honor and His glory. Too often, we use our gifts only in our occupation or in building wealth, or building possessions. And I'm not saying that it is wrong to use your gifts in your area of work. I, I, I was thinking this morning about the policemen that we have in our congregation. I'm glad they're there. Aren't you? Oh, come on. Aren't you glad that we have the policemen in our congregation that we have and, and the service that they give? But if they only use their gifts, now, now they're going to think I'm picking on them. If they only use their giftedness in that way and never use it here, they're not fulfilling the plan of Christ. I'm glad, glad for the doctors that we have and have had in our congregation. I'm glad for the businessmen. And, and God bless them for using their gifts and their testimony in the business world and the medical world but if they only use it there and not here, they are not fulfilling Christ's plan for building His church. He gives you your giftedness so that you use it to His honor and His glory. And He uses that to build this church. We're good at talking about tithes and offerings that way. You know, give back to God what He's given you. But listen, stewardship goes far beyond just your money. Yes, bless God with your money the way you want Him to bless you. Oh, I was supposed to say the way He has blessed you. I think you ought to bless God with your offerings the way you want Him 
to bless you. The Bible says, give and it should be given unto you. But listen, it's not just about your tithes and offerings. It's about your giftedness, your ability, your time, your work effort. Notice that it says, working properly. And that working word is an energy word. Where are you putting your energy? And when you do it properly, the church builds itself up. Yeah, it's from God, but you have to do it. You have to get involved. You know, I, I watched a movie again. Brenda said for the 40th time. I, I still insist it's only the 4th or 5th or 6th. Not the 40th. I watched Hidden Figures. How many of you know that movie? Hidden Figures. Uh, if you don't recognize the title, that's the story of the black women who worked in NASA back in the 60s at a time when there were not equal opportunities like there should have been, where there was prejudice and hatred. And those women were tremendous examples of how they educated themselves, how they dedicated themselves. And listen, those women impacted history and they impacted following generations. I want you to understand, you can have an impact too. If you take on your job as a teacher and you pour into young lives, you will change those lives, you will impact those lives. If you're a doctor and you heal someone of a, of a dreaded disease, you will have changed their lives. You may be a politician and change the course of history for our city, our state, or our nation. Amen. Praise God. But listen to me. What we do in this place is not just life-changing. It impacts eternity. Don't ever forget that. This is about the souls of men. And we are impacting eternity for Christ's sake. What part will you have in that? I am glad for your occupations. I'm glad for your giftedness. But what is better, to change a life, to change history, or to change eternity by winning somebody to Christ who will win somebody to Christ, who will win somebody to Christ and impact eternity? Listen, the way the church grows, when every member contributes His God-given gifts, the church will grow up and the church will grow out and it will, be, it will both be edified and it will expand. What are you doing? Christ loves this church and He wants to grow this church. He will do so when we begin to grow in Him and we speak the truth in love, and we use our gifts to edify the body, that is to build it up, and to expand the body, and that means to reach our community for Jesus.